Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. Um, as servants and um, you know, people who go out of your way, take out of your time to, uh, to be in, in serving God and serving His children, um, I'm sure all of us are really concerned that, that we're doing a good job, that we're doing what God wants, um, and that we're being useful. And in our world today of like hyper-efficiency, you know, we're always trying to get to, to the fastest place, to the best place, at the, as fast as we can. You know, there's, we're always trying to be ultra-efficient. Our schedules are packed as tight as possible. Um, it's very much how we're programmed to think. And there's probably a lot of things about that that aren't very healthy, but, there are, but there's certainly a good side to it for sure. So it's, I think it's good for us to take some time out, to take a weekend out, like Abuno was saying, to stop, like stop the wheels of the machine for a weekend and see, are we, are we doing things right? To take some time to self-assess and to sit in the light of Christ and ask Him. If we look at what Jesus says, Jesus tells us, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. I have to tell you the truth. Um, for many, many years, I would see these verses in John 15 and I would like skip over them. I didn't want to see this. I didn't want to see this at all. There's lots of preaching that says, you know, you don't have to bear fruit. Maybe God is hiding the fruit from you lest you become proud and all of this. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. But I'm saying that this is the gospel. Okay, I'm not going to say other people. I'm not, those of you who don't know me very well yet, I'm not somebody who says this person is wrong and this person is right. And, and I'm alien. I have enough difficulty just taking care of my own, my own self, right? But this is the gospel. I mean, Jesus says that the Father is glorified by us bearing fruit. And that he chose us and appointed us that we should bear fruit and that our fruit should remain. So, I don't know what other people are teaching, and that's up to them, but this is, this is what Jesus says, right? Jesus says, we should bear fruit. And my humble experience, very short experience, many of you probably been serving longer than me, is that there should always be fruit. If there's fruit in the people I serve, fantastic. If there's fruit in the church around us, like you're serving so hard somebody, but the fruit is not in that person or in that group of people, but all around you in other areas, fine. Or there should be fruit in me. There should be fruit in me. I should be growing. But if I'm not growing, the people I serve are not growing, the community is not growing, something's wrong. Something's wrong. What's going on, right? St. Paul says, this is kind of scary, he says, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's going to be our topic for tomorrow morning. What does it mean to be disqualified? What is this that St. Paul, St. Paul who preached the whole known world, who preached from, from one end of the world to the other, as far as was, had been discovered, says, lest having preached to others, I myself might be disqualified. What is this? Uh, does, is he afraid he's not going to go to heaven? Is he afraid of... What's he afraid of? Or what's he, what is he concerned about? Right? 
Am I qualified? Am I fit? Am I fit for this ministry? Am I fit for the calling that God has called me for? Or am I uh, like a blunt instrument in the hands of a master craftsman? Like God is able to bring fruit from me because he's God. But man, am I making him work overtime, right? You know, so all these questions, you know, we want to ask ourselves and we want to have like an idea in our mind of what, what is it? What is it that can make us sharp instruments in the hands of a master craftsman? What is it that, what is it that can make us ultra useful for God? Not comparing ourselves one to the other. No, just, just myself, just me, between me and God. How can, how can I look at my father and make him proud? I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. A lot of the time you don't know whether you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Like you do the best that you know how. You advise people the best that you know how. You love them the best that you know how. But sometimes you don't really know if you did. You know, should I have been a little bit tougher? Should I have been a little bit softer? Right? A lot of the time you don't know. Right? So what do I do? I tell you the truth. Every night I go and I kneel before Jesus and I ask him, how did we do today? How did we do today? And I leave, I leave it for him to correct me and to teach me. So we're going to do three parts. Tonight we're going to talk about how the temple of God was full of His glory. And we're, I'm hoping that tonight we're going to be able to talk about, about God's glory and really focus on that a little bit. And then tomorrow morning we're going to talk about qualified or disqualified. How can we tell? And, and, and lastly we're going to talk about bearing abundant fruit. I'd like to begin with this passage. Those of you who have Bibles with you, you might want to pull it up. From 2 Chronicles chapter 5. So I, I, I took yeah, I wanted the, the whole chapter, but to fit it on a slide and also not to make it too, 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 too long, um, I kind of just selected certain parts that kind of summarize the, 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 the chapter for us. It's a very short chapter. It's only 14 verses. When Solomon had finished building the temple. So it reads, So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. They brought up the ark, the tabernacle of the meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. The trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Did, did, you, did you quite get that? Did you get the scene? You know, they're, they're, they're bringing the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant into the temple for the first time, and all the other stuff that was in the tabernacle of meeting, the, the altar of incense, and altar of the burnt offering and the big laver and all the things they're bringing them in putting them where they belong right and they're singing and they're thanking and they're praising God and then all of a sudden the temple gets 
filled with the presence of God. So much so, they couldn't see anymore. It was like a cloud inside. They couldn't see anymore and they had to stop. They stopped singing, the music stopped. They couldn't see their music notes anymore or whatever. The priests couldn't, they couldn't, they were bumping into each other. They, just, they had to stop. They just stopped. Everything stopped because of the glory of the Lord. Don't you wish to see that in your ministry? That your ministry is so glorious that there comes times where your ministry is engulfed in the presence of God and you're paralyzed, you're unable to continue activity because the presence of the Lord is so intense, is so, is so like tangible, is, they couldn't, they had to stop. All the music stopped, the singing stopped, everything stopped because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Don't you wish your ministry was like that? I tell you the truth, I wish I wish that this was the daily experience of my ministry. I wish that this is the daily experience of my ministry. And God is able to make it so. But we have to ask ourselves, have we experienced this glory? Have we even experienced this glory? Can we even say we've seen it or we've heard of it? We've witnessed it somewhere. Okay, we haven't seen it or heard of it or witnessed it somewhere ourselves. Can we say that we know somebody? We know a story. We, we have, can we say that, that, there is, that there is, we have some experience of the reality of this? Have we been on the Damascus Road? Saul of Tarsus was going on the Damascus Road and same thing. The light shone upon him. He was paralyzed. He had to stop. He couldn't continue. And then he was blinded. Have we had an experience like that? Where God interrupted us to bring us, to reveal to us His person. Forget those questions. Do you remember the first time you encountered God for yourself? Do you remember how God spoke to you? What He said to you? How you encountered Him? What your experience was of Him? Take a short passage from Isaiah chapter 6, and this will be the bulk of what we will contemplate on. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out, and the, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. 
the passage begins by telling us that in, this was in the year that King Uzziah died. So let's just take a minute or two to ask ourselves, who was this King Uzziah? King Uzziah was a king, the son of King Amaziah. Um, and he reigned from when he was 16 years old and he reigned for 52 years. So a very long time. And um, he was uh, a very vigorous and able ruler. He was like a very, very, very strong ruler. He, uh, he was, uh, must have had like a degree in engineering or something because he uh, put together like these uh, siege engines and uh, uh, like catapults and all of these things uh, which were like, you know, cutting edge of course at the time, right? And so uh, his fame spread in the Second Chronicles uh, chapter 26 says it's, it's spread even as far as Egypt. So everybody knew that he was like very ingenious, very smart, um, and he really brought the kingdom to a new place. Of course, with that, he became very proud. And towards the end of his reign, he, ent he, he went into the temple and he decided to offer incense. And the king, the, the, the uh, the, the, the priests tried to stop him and told him, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to, uh, to Jehovah. That is for the priests and the descendants of Aaron who have been consecrated to burn incense. Um, and, then, and then there was an earthquake that shook the ground, says uh, Josephus, the historian. Uh, and he, he got leprosy and then he stopped reigning at that time. And his son, Jotham, took over the kingdom, although he was still alive. And for 11 years, they kind of overlapped, and then he died. But needless to say, the kingdom was very rich and did very, very well under the rule of Uzziah the king. So saying at the end, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah sees, sees this vision, right? And just try to imagine to yourself, you know, here's Isaiah walking up the steps, on a, on, on a bright afternoon, blue sky, in front of him is gold and marble everywhere, right? Towering temple, huge laver, the thing that they would, the priests would wash in before they go in, you know? The, the altar of the burnt offering with smoke rising to the sky. About 150 or 200 Levites on either side singing, alternating, one on the north side, one on the south side, singing psalms and praising God. A, a glorious sight. And as he's there on the steps, all of a sudden he sees this, he sees this vision. You know? Maybe if we turn the Wi-Fi off. All of a sudden, he sees this vision. And when he sees this vision, just one glance of this vision was enough to make him stop in his tracks. Just one, one glance and everything that he was seeing before, the, the huge temple and the marble stairs and, and the altar and the laver and the priests and the Levites and... All of that faded, faded far, far, far away. And he was in a trance, right? 
You know what's really beautiful as an aside? God says the same thing about you and me. He says about you and He says about me, You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. It's kind of funny that God looks at us and says, The whole world pales at your beauty, just as an aside. And of course, when he sees this, the first thing he says is, 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 woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am undone. This is my end. Right? He says, it's over. What did, uh, what did St. Peter say? What did St. Peter say when he, uh, when, when he had the great catch of fish in Luke 5? He said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. When we have this encounter of God, which is completely not what we were expecting. Like, I mean, it's fair to say Isaiah was going to the temple to encounter God. But he was very much surprised by the encounter he had. Right? When we have an encounter of God which is completely different from what we were expecting, the natural reaction is to realize how great God is and how unfit I am. How much I need, I need to repent. And it's usually in times of great prosperity. It's usually in times where everything is going good. Where everything is going well. Where, where times of wealth, times of stability, times where, of peace, and there's no war. That we also get times of complacency. And what does God do? He gathers around him his Isaiahs. He gathers around him those whom, if they have a real and true encounter of God, they will respond and say, here I am, send me. Okay, I'm ready, God, send me. The ones who are ready to repent. He gathers them around him and he says, come, come, let me show you something. Listen to me. Let me show you that I want to show you that I'm thinking on a completely different order of scale. You're thinking, you're thinking tens and twenties. I'm thinking tens and twenty thousands. I'm thinking something completely different than you. My ways are far above your ways. My thoughts are very different from your thoughts. You look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. The key to this conference, I tell you the truth, the key to this conference, the key to this weekend, is very simple. The persons who say, yes, I'm willing to descend, are the ones who will experience God the most. This is always like this. It's always like this when we take some time out, when we leave our busy service, when we leave our busy week, our busy jobs, our busy families, our busy friends, our busy social life. When we take some time away, it's always like this. The first thing God calls us to do is to get down on our knees and to repent, to see where we went astray. And I promise you, I promise you, you will be deeply rewarded. God will reward you very richly for your prayer tonight. Time is it now? It's like a, a 10 past 11, right? It's late. 
you're tired, it was a long drive to get here, God knows. But God also knows, God also knows that He's already chosen for Himself those who will say, doesn't matter how late it is. When's the last time, God, that I knelt by my bed and I really sat and reviewed my life with you? And I really sat and I looked you square in the face, God. And I really had an honest and real and true conversation with you. God knows, and you know, and I know. So there are three steps for us to, de to descend. Three simple things. The first thing is a conviction of our personal unworthiness. Remember that this Isaiah who says, Woe is me, I'm, an I am a man of unclean lips. He had already been prophesying for five chapters. I'm not going to stand here and tell you how bad of a person Isaiah was. I haven't written five chapters of prophecy in the Old Testament to, to be better than him. Maybe you're the same. Maybe you also have five, five good chapters behind you. You have a good history behind you. You have a good track record behind you. Abuna, you're asking me to repent. I know, but you don't know me. I'm a servant, not just anybody, right? I've been around the block once or twice. I'm not new. I've been serving youth for I don't know how long and this and so on. Yes, and, and many of my children have become priests and monks and nuns and so on. Yes, good, very good, very good. Isaiah also had been prophesying, prophesying about the Messiah, prophesying about the Messiah for five chapters already. But still God called him to repent. Out of our brokenness comes our fruit. Out of our tears we water, we water the, the, the soil that's going to that's gonna bring fruit. And be comforted that you're not the only one weeping. When we stand aloof and we stand and we look and we say, this person is bad and this person is good. And you see that servant, he should really be serving hard. I mean, he's very complacent. Always comes late and this and that, right? When we stand with our nose a little bit up and our chest a little bit broad and we're judging and this and that, isn't Jesus mourning? Isn't Jesus crying over this servant? Isn't Jesus crying over those who are supposed to be being served, but they're not really being served because of our selfishness, because of, because of our own unwillingness? Isn't Jesus, isn't Jesus also the one of whom we can be said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Be comforted that you're not alone in your tears. I don't know if you've ever been to a prayer meeting where one person had a, a sincere and honest, heartfelt repentance, and they prayed out loud their repentance. I used to lead a prayer meeting for evangelism a million years ago when I lived in Montreal, the Montreal Children's Hospital. We used to gather there because it was like there was no church downtown and we'd go serve the poor and the homeless afterwards. So we used to gather and all the hospitals have a chapel, so we'd go to the chapel and we'd pray there. And I did it for like five years or something, a long time anyways. It became a regular thing on Thursday nights. One of the youth whom I served avidly, like many nights a week, I was serving him or serving with him, he was a good guy, but he led, led a bit of a double life, a little bit, not always, but sometimes. And he was, the, the, the disaster was that he was a big, really big deacon and servant and so on. And I would rebuke him sharply and I'd tell him, you know, you're going to be a big stumbling block. You have to choose. You follow God or you follow the world, but you can't do a little bit of both and so on. 
But I loved him very much, and because he, I've been serving him for many years, I really loved him, and I was trying to help him without being pushy or whatever. Anyways, one day, we were having a prayer meeting one week, as, as we did every week, and uh, he, he came that week, and he didn't usually pray out loud, but this week he started to pray out loud, and he repented and he confessed all his sins out loud. I mean, I'm not suggesting that you do or don't do this. Let God guide you, it's not my business. But I can tell you that within one second, within one second, that prayer meeting was on fire. The honest and sincere repentance of one person, one person was enough to shake heaven. And I promise you, had I been present on the day of Pentecost, I can't imagine that there would have been more power in the room. One person. Just one person. One person's uh, fantastic sermon? No. One person's most beautiful ever liturgy? No. Beautiful, most beautiful ever uh, singing of hymns or songs or whatever? No. One person's repentance was enough to bring the power of Pentecost the power of the Holy Spirit upon us all. You think I'm exaggerating? This kills me. Oh, I, I'm downtown, right? So I walk around downtown all the time and stuff. I try to take public transit as much as I can. I get to meet people and see people. They always ask me, you know, what are you? And I'm like, well, I look at them. I'm like, well, I'm a human being. What are you? Right? And then they laugh. I tell them, my name is John. I'm a Coptic Orthodox priest. And so when we get into a nice conversation, it's nice, right? So I, I try to, but I'm always struck by something. I ask myself, all these people that are going and coming, what's going to happen to them? I always find myself asking myself, what's going to happen to all these people? Are they going to go to heaven? Do they have a life with Jesus? Do they know Him? Are they enjoying His fellowship? Are they living the life of Christ? And what are we going to do about this? And there's people, and there's so many people, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people you'll, you just, you'll, you'll brush up against just by, by walking a few blocks. And the thought always crosses my mind. Pope Cyril was one person, and he was able to change the whole world, and continues to change the whole world. Just one person. God doesn't need a, a massive army. He needs one Isaiah. He needs one Pope Cyril. He needs one young man like the young man that came and repented in that prayer meeting that one Thursday night a long time ago. Your repentance, my repentance, your prayer tonight, your prayer tonight is enough to change the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. The second thing is, is knowing the nearness of God. Uh, a Victorian, English Victorian poet writes, The earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush aflame with God. But only he that sees takes off his shoes. God is here. God is present everywhere. But we find people reverent and we find people irreverent. We find people living as though that God is here, God is present, living their lives carefully, being careful, living in the fear of God and people not. And the reality is, is that everywhere you look, you find beauty. 
Everywhere you look, you find the fingerprint of God. St. Athanasius actually says, in, on the Incarnation, he says that all creation reveals the love of the Father. That it was not actually necessary for Jesus to be incarnate to reveal to us the love of the Father, but He was incarnate because we were so out to lunch. We were so, we were so not paying attention that we needed to see Him and to know Him so that we could know Him. But many people in the Old Testament, He needed to be incarnate to restore our humanity. But He says Jesus was incarnate for two reasons, to restore our humanity and to reveal to us the love of the Father. Right? But there were many people in the Old Testament that understood the love of the Father. Right? And they understood it through God's natural and naturally created world. When we're full of God, it becomes like we're wearing a miner's cap. The treasure is right in front of us, but we can't see it until the light goes on. And then it glistens off of the diamonds, reflects back off of the diamonds, and we can see them, and we can reap these treasures. These treasures are all, they're right in front of us. They're not hard to find, right? They're right, they're right there. The power of Pentecost, the power and working of the Holy Spirit is right there. Uh, amongst us, right here, we just have to, we just have to turn the light on. We just have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, and then all of these things become very obvious, which brings us back to repentance. And lastly, there's only one means by which we can find peace, and that's to have peace with God. What, is, what does Isaiah say? He says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He says, Uh-oh, God, you are holy, and I'm not. Right? So there's a discord, there's a problem. What's kind of interesting is that God doesn't command the angels to go and to take a, a, a coal, an ember, from the fire and touch his lips. They just do it. Like he didn't tell them, tell the angels, okay, I command you, go and so on. They just did it of themselves, right? And it shows that, it shows that all of heaven is like waiting for our repentance. My repentance is like the missing ingredient, you know, like, like if we're making orbon, they're making the, 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 the bread of the offering, there, there's yeast and there's water, everything is there, it's just, it's just missing the yeast, like the flour is there and the water is there, it's just missing the active ingredient. God has prepared everything, it's like you put all the domino pieces up in the domino rally and he's just waiting, he's just waiting for my, for my repentance. If you think about it, the ember was made of two things, two things which we really need. One is probably had blood on it from the offering, you know, the blood of Christ to cover us. And the other had fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit to move us. I want to close with uh, something, a beautiful contemplation I heard. This is not like an official... Uh, explanation of like liturgical rite it's just the contemplation of a priest that I know a nice very nice man spiritual man uh, once after he washed his hands uh, during the creed and he comes and he says uh, you know you know absolve me my father so I have sinned forgive me my brethren fathers and mothers and brothers sisters so I have sinned he looked at the congregation and he said to them Pilate Pontius Pilate examine Jesus and after examining him, he said, I find no fault in this man. 
How about you? Have you examined Jesus? Why don't you examine him? And if you find he has no fault, then follow him. And if you find that you find you seem to find fault in him, then don't waste your time. Like, why are you here? <clears throat> so I'm gonna end on this, on that note, and I'm gonna um, I prepared like um, a couple of uh, small little handout for you. Um, maybe I can ask uh, some help to just uh, hand them out. Um, just. A little thing I read recently about self-examination. Because this business of self-examination can, can be really dreadful, you know? Let me sit and think about all the horrific things I've ever done in my life. Doesn't sound like very pleasant, right? And Jesus, as I know him, it seems like a pretty pleasant guy. So, I'm not saying that that method of self-examination is, is bad or wrong or incorrect. Again, I told you I'm not here to, to criticize anybody. But I want to share with you something I read only a year ago or so. A different way of self-examination I had never really read before. This uh, bishop in his book was suggesting that we start off by focusing on Jesus. Since confession is realignment, is being realigned to Jesus, is, is taking our ways and putting them back on God's ways, why don't we start off by just examining Jesus. So he suggests, this bishop in his book, he suggests, why don't you sit and make a list of all Jesus' characteristics? Write everything. Write everything that you can think of. If you, uh, you know, aren't feeling very creative, if you flip it over on the back, I put some Bible verses for you there, full of adjectives and descriptions of God's character. So you can take a, a pen and circle them if you like. Right? But write a list. Then circle the ones which you have experienced personally. Not the things you know by theory, but you have personally experienced that God is patient. He gave me a chance, He gave me another chance, He gave me a third chance, He gave me a fourth chance, until I make a mistake and He gives me another try, and I make a mistake and He gives me another try, or whatever. Whatever things you yourself, you know this to be true of, 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 of God yourself, you have experienced it yourself. Now you're going to notice from that subset that there are certain of those qualities that God has given you. Like you have personally experienced the kindness of God. And if we're going to be honest, God has given you a gift of kindness. Don't be shy to say that God has given you a gift. You will be judged for using it or not using it. So better to know and to acknowledge that He has given you a certain gift. It's not we all know it's not by our merits. It's not because I'm a good person or because I'm holy or I'm spiritual. No, it is because God wants to serve His church. He wants to serve His people. So He gives us gifts so we can serve each other. Right? So ask yourselves, which of those characteristics has God given you? And then finally ask yourself, how faithful have I been in, in, in that? If God has given me an unusual gift of kindness, have I always been kind? Have I been kind to people that I don't know, or people that I know very well, my family, my friends, or is it only to strangers and so on? And then we can start to see, where am I similar to Jesus, and where are there some discrepancies? Lastly, there may be some things that I do that are, that are just very left field, like they're very far from what God does. I can write those things down as well. 
So in so doing, all of our focus and our attention is on Jesus, on who he is, what his character is, right? And we can keep our eyes on him, on his glory, and ask him to give us, to create a, a clean heart in us, to renew his spirit within us, to renew the joy of his Holy Spirit within us, and that we might offer him a true and honest and sincere repentance. I pray, I pray that tonight you and I will be able to do this. We'll be able to remember the temple full of glory, the temple full of such glory that the worship had to be interrupted. That you and I will remember the, the scene that Isaiah saw that interrupted him, that stopped him. You and I will remember Peter in the boat saying, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful person. May we have an experience of God's glory. May we have an experience of God that forces us to get down on our knees and ask Him to forgive us and ask Him, ask Him to change us, to, to affect a real and true change of mind in each one of us. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my Father is absolved.